0: Amazing song by Liz and AJ. Who thinks they should sing a new song every week? <laughs> well, to be honest, that's the plan. So we are going to continue to work together, and I'm going to work with her and AJ throughout the week and talk about what we're going to be sharing as a community, and then uh, see what they can put together for us. So exciting times! Hey, if you missed uh, last week, um, we had a great, uh, a great time. Uh, our message we talked about was moving into the next year needing to exchange uh, lenses of fear for lenses of faith. Um, We looked at the story out of uh, Numbers chapter 13, where the people of Israel have been rescued from slavery, and um, Moses has led them through the wilderness, and they're right there at the the cusp of the promised land. They're right there, and and Moses sends the 12 spies into the land to report on what the land uh, had in it. Ten of the spies come back with conflicting reports Yes, the land had milk and honey, Um, They had these giant grapes and these pomegranates, but the land also had these giants, and they were big, and and there wasn't any room for us. And they gave their bad report, and they spread their negativity, and then the entire congregation began to cry and complain, and they wanted to choose a new leader and head back, uh, back into slavery. But Caleb, one of the remaining two spies, he stood up before the congregation, and he said, hey, we will defeat fear with movement. Uh, we we said we must enter into the promised land immediately and take what's ours. We can do it. And I got several emails this last week, comments from people that said that was exactly what I needed to hear, that it was fear that had been uh, keeping me from moving forward uh, and taking what God had promised me. I also had someone send me a link to a website where I can get affordable glasses because I admitted my fear of getting glasses, and so I appreciate that too. Um, but today I want to I want to take the next step into moving forward. The next step to take to really make a change, because I think some of us were fed up with goals. We're fed up with resolutions. Year after year, we set them, and year after year, we just we don't complete them. And six weeks later, we're thrown in the towel. And and honestly, our changes are to the outside, but rarely are the changes we make in the inside. It was said like this once. Change never starts from the outside in. So don't distract yourself this year by setting ambitious physical goals to creating the new you. The real work begins with the inner life, that place where you can, by God's grace, as the tough questions face the hard truths and surrender to the process of brokenness. A journey you can take alone. You can't take it alone. God must be there, He must be your true north. This is where you will find the new you, the you you were created to be, but it's no small task. You will take all that you got. See, most of our goals revolve around the the way we live. And I think that a great piece of scripture that uh, paints a picture of how we should live is found in Romans chapter 12. So turn with me there. It's a great passage of scripture that gives us an outline of, of how to really make a change. And so I want to look at several pieces within this passage of scripture that focus on specific things that you and I can really do to make a change this year. So Romans chapter 12, I keep ringing, so I'm going to even go further back, but I don't think it's me. Carl's new to the sound, new. no, he's new, it's all right, just kidding. Hey guys, say thanks to Carl for helping out today, Carl's, <laughs> Carl is not new to sound, he's just, this is his first time with us, so. I don't wanna, it's my fault. I always blame the sound people when something doesn't go wrong. He's not coming back now? All right, it's okay. Okay, the first thing, I'm gonna take my cough drop up because I think it's messing me up. First thing uh, from this verse that I found uh, is this physical commitment. Let's look at verse one together. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you, let them be a living sacrifice, living in holy sacrifice, this kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Notice he doesn't say there, uh, give give him your heart, give him your spirit. Uh, He doesn't say your soul or your body, but he says your body. Why does he say that? And I think it's because if your body is not involved, then most likely you're not involved in it. My family, uh, this year we've committed to CrossFit. And so for the first month, I have sent Jody into to spy this land of CrossFit, right? To see what it's like, you know. But I'm getting conflicting reports from her, and, I, and I'm not sure that's where I'm supposed to be. You see, you see, one moment she's pumped up to go, and then the next moment she's terrified to be late. Uh, she says she feels great when she gets back, but she, she can't walk across the room, you know. So definitely are sending mixed messages to me. And so I'm going to give her a little more time to spy it out before I enter in. Um, but giving your body is a physical thing. If you commit your body to somewhere, then the only way you can be there is physically, right? You and I, we don't have the ability to be anywhere in spirit. Has anyone ever had someone say to you that, hey, I'd love to be there with you, but I can't, so I'll be there with you in spirit? Do you know what that means? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, right? When Jody runs her marathons and I say, I'm there with you, babe, in spirit, you know, no, I'm not, right? You know, I, I, don't, I haven't run any marathons in my spirit. Uh, sometimes I feel like I have, but I haven't. I'm actually at home with the kids eating pizza rolls and watching the game, you know. And, but she knows that, and that's cool. But we have to be willing to physically make the choice to be there. And in the scripture, it's saying, give your bodies. Make a choice to be there with God, to take physical time to stop and be with him, To be willing to be used in certain ways, to physically use your body in a way that is a living sacrifice. Number two is change the way you think. Look at verse two. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This was a big part of last week's message that we need to change the way we think, the way we see ourselves, and the way we see others. To move forward, to make a real change, you have to see yourself differently and and think differently. It's a paradigm shift. You and I have to exchange our lenses of fear for lenses of faith and boldly enter into the promises that God has made. We cannot let fear keep us from what is ours. Fear is driven by movement, and movement requires your physical body. The third thing is humbly evaluate or assess your current state. We got to find out where we are. I am convinced that GPS systems and navigation systems have wrecked us. You know, I, I used to love looking at maps, you know, finding out where we're going to go. How do we get there? Are there optional scenic routes we can go to? Are there places we wanted to stop along the way, you know, uh, where the next rest stop is? And when we were dating and when we were first married, Jody and I would have some of the best arguments about the roadmap, right, because of that map. And, and I was always wrong. I should have told you that then. I was wrong back then. You were right. But times have changed now, right? And now all I do is I type in the address, and I start, I hit start, and then Siri tells me what to do, Right? And it's just what I needed, another woman telling me I went the wrong way, right? But the summer I got married, uh, I went camping with three other guys, and we went to uh, Algonquin Park in Ontario, Canada. Uh, and we chose a, cha- a campsite on the shore of uh, Opiango Lake, and I don't know if any of you have been there, but it's a type of place where you, uh, the campsite you pick, you have to paddle in uh, to this campsite. And we were just a short distance from this island. We were on a, one island, and there was this other island that we were a short distance from called Bates Island, um, and so when we paid for our site, uh, we asked the ranger, hey, would it be cool that in a couple days um, we switch our site to, to Bates Island? Oh, it looks really pretty. We want to be there for a day. And the ranger gave us one of those looks like, you ain't from around here, are you? You know, that, just that look. And he's like, we don't let people camp on Bates Island anymore. And we're like, well, why? He said, well, in the last decade, there have been several mul- uh, multiple bear attacks on Bates Island. Uh, in 91, he's, uh, there was a man and woman who were, who were killed and then consumed by a bear. In 97, there was a boy that was taken from his tent, and then he went on to tell us that these attacks were very unusual for bear attacks. You see, the bears weren't searching for leftovers or or investigating what's going on and accidentally ran into a human. He said in both attacks, the bear only wanted to kill and eat the humans, and so we're just two days into that trip with that story, and we're like, well, we won't go to Bates Island. We'll stay on our island, but we wanted to, to investigate our island. We were fishing there on the lake shore, and there wasn't much bite in, so we We had a map that showed us that there was a small little pond or lake in the center of our island, and maybe we thought that would be good fishing. Um, The map we had was just the place map from the place we ate dinner on the way in. So I don't know how reliable it was, but so four suburban guys, I've told you this before, I'm I'm from the city, I'm not from the country. So four suburban guys with sticks and fishing bowls, uh, we head towards what we thought was the middle of the island um, this was before smartphones or uh, weather apps, uh, so just a few minutes in it begins to pour right and cloud cover has set in, and now fear begins to invade uh, every down tree, every pile of rock looks like the den for a bloodthirsty black bear, right you know uh, lost, wet, scared, uh, we decided to head back to the campsite but We had no idea which way to go. We didn't have compasses or maps that were any good, and so uh, we just started walking. And ultimately, we found the shoreline, and we were able to to follow it back to our campsite. But we chose in that moment to stop and assess our current situation. And at some point, all of us are going to have to humble ourselves and assess where we are and decide if we want to live, if we want to change, then we, we may need to go another way. But finding out where you are, is. sometimes it's more than just tree markings or or the coastline. But sometimes it takes a quick look behind us. So in verse 3, it says this. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. We cannot take hold of what's in front of us if we're holding on to what's behind us. But sometimes we can't see where to go if we don't know where we came from. Let's go back to this Algonquin camping trip. I'd like to say that that story that I shared was the only time that we got lost on the trip. It wasn't. The next day we were there, um, we left the island. We said, hey, we want to go and fish one of the rivers in the park. And so we did that. We made breakfast and we packed the canoe and we went out. Um, And we fished till that evening time, and we headed back to the boat dock. Um, And I don't know if you've ever been out on those nights where the the light of the moon was so bright that everything was illuminated. This wasn't one of those nights. And um, we got to the boat dock, and it starts to rain again. And it's dark, and there's no moonlight. And since we left in the daylight, none of us thought to bring a flashlight, right? And so we're looking out into this massive lake. There is not one campfire, not one light, not one dark shadow of trees that would indicate the island is over here. So we had no idea where to go. And so we did this. The three other guys, they jumped in the canoe, and they just started heading towards where they thought the island should be. You know? And I remained in the van, and I kept the headlights on so they'd have a point of reference to look back to see where we came from. It was about an hour two hours later where a faint light in the distance started headed back towards me and was one of the guys wearing a, uh, a headlamp to pick me up. So. But in order for us to get to where we're supposed to be, we had to look back and remind ourselves where we came from. And too often I think we fail to do this. Through working in schools or, or coaching through the recreation department of uh, Swain County, I've afforded myself several opportunities to be around and in relationships with several people who don't claim to know God, skeptics or agnostics, atheists, you name it. And anytime we have a conversation where uh, it involves religion or Jesus Christ or uh, the cross comes up or this need for salvation comes up, I am never surprised, it never shocks me how many skeptics or unbelievers don't think that they need a cross. And I understand it, I, I get it. But what does surprise me is how many Christians that I talk to or I've been around who don't think that they need the cross. They've churched themselves out of the need for a Messiah. They've let rules and the law and originality become the definition of righteousness. No longer am I a sinner who needs a Savior, but I'm a self-made man. And self-made men worship their creator themselves. And some of us have forgotten where we've come from, what got us to where we are. And each one of our trails leads back to the cross. We have all been ransomed by the cross. We have all come by grace to where we are. The fourth thing is is community. In verse 4, it says this. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Paul is raising the bar here in terms of what it means for us in this individualistic culture that we live in. Later on, he says things like, be devoted to one another, love one another above yourselves. And devotion is a strong word. Uh, what happens when you think about the, the concept of devotion, it's so contrasted by this autonomy of our culture. Most of us, when we think about ourselves in community, we think about ourselves standing next to each other, but we're still sort of surrounded by this, this safety bubble or this. Uh, we're connected with this really thin strand Because the truth is that any moment, if I disagree with you or at any moment I'm uncomfortable with our relationship or something goes awry, I can snap these little strands and I can escape to my safety and security and isolation. When Paul says, be devoted to one another, the picture in my mind is this. You and I grabbing those people by the hand and saying, hey, you don't get to go. Not because I hate you or I want you to feel uncomfortable. But because I'm devoted to you, I love you. I'm committed to working through this and making this right. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And it would be easier for, to, for you to leave. That's the easy route. But because we are devoted to each other in love, we have to stand together and say, yeah, in the world, running away works. But in the family, it doesn't. Not for me. And so I'm, I'm all in. Well, the other part of community in this passage is that if you're driven by this value that the thing I am good at, the gifts that I've been given are given to me by God for other people, not for me. This is a challenging place because basically I don't see myself sometimes in in relationship to the body of Christ. The problem is that we all kind of want to be the important parts, right? Nobody wants to be the kidney, right? This bean-shaped thing somewhere in the body, right? We want to be the upfront thing, you know, not the kidney thing. And so let's say... Let's say you're the pretty hairdo. No offense, Kirby. But let's say you're the the hairdo. And and the kidney gives out. Well, you still die, right? So he's saying, hey, you're all a part of this really complicated system of life. Uh, But this organic life, it takes place within the body of Christ. And every one of you is going to have a, a different gift. And so until we come to the place where we can say, God, you gave me this. And the reason you gave me this was to bless other people. And we're not going to be able to capture God's vision of living out the gospel together. Because it's in that place where we recognize that I go to church to give, not to take. And that's where this fresh perspective begins to show up. That when the world looks in and they see this weird group of people, not because of our language or anything like that, but because of the way we live. Look at what they do with the things that uh, they're really good at. They give themselves away to each other. They give themselves away to the world Why do they do that? Well, it's because we value the fact that we are this integrated body and that we need each other. The fifth thing is love others. Look at verse nine. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So what does it mean to love someone? And who, who are the others that we're supposed to love? Next week here at church, we're going to be able to hear stories from a mother and daughter uh, who went to Guatemala last summer. Um, and you'll also have a chance to meet the 11 that are going to go to Guatemala in just two weeks. Um, it's an opportunity to, to love people in another part of the world. But we don't have to get on a plane to love someone, right? Liz uh, was scheduled to go to this trip to Guatemala, and she came to the meeting last Tuesday night. And she said, hey, guys, I made a decision to not go, and I want to share with you that decision on, what, on how I came to that decision. She said every time she would put money aside to, 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 for this trip, for the plane ticket and, and spending, someone that she knew in this community would call her and say, hey, I, I'm in need. And she would give that money away. That was genuine affection from her. And then Liz pulled out this book by Max Lucado, and she read this to us, and I want to read it to you. This was what challenged her to, to, to stay where she's at. This is a story that Max shares about this conversation he had with God one Sunday morning. Max says, God, I want to do great things. God says, you do? You bet. I want to teach millions. I want to fill the rolls Bowl. I want all the world to know your saving power. I, I dream of the day. That's great, Max. In fact, I can use you today after church. Max says, super. How about some radio or TV work or how about an engagement to speak to Congress? God said, well, that's not exactly what I had in mind. You see that fellow sitting next to you? Yes. He needs a ride home. What? He needs a ride home. And while you're at it, one of the older ladies sitting near you is worried about getting a refrigerator moved. Why don't you drop by this afternoon Afternoon. and, but God, what, what about the world? God, smiling, says, think about it. What about the world? What about the table you're sitting at this morning? What can you do for someone at that table? During a speech in Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. King said this. He said, an individual has not started living fully until they can rise above the narrow confines of individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of humanity. Life's most persistent and urgent question is this, he said. What are you doing for others? Now, I still want Liz to go to Guatemala with us sometime, so next year I'm going to tell her that it costs twice as much so that she'll have the money when she gives it away. But in the meantime, I plan to use Liz and AJ and their heart for Bryson City to push the local efforts of Love Bryson and restore the image of God here. Now, that's not an excuse for some of you who have been resisting going to Guatemala. You know, every time you put money aside, someone calls you to play golf or go out to eat in Asheville. Those aren't the same things, you know. But I will say, I will say that it's much easier to love people in Guatemala than it is in Bryson City. And hear me out. I feel that it is a part of our responsibility to go into all the world and restore the image of God. We have a strong connection in and in a tie to Guatemala in particular, and we'll continue to be involved there. At the same time, though, we're called to this community, to the people at your table, to the people at the coffee house, to the parents on your kid's soccer team. How are you loving them? What broken relationships do you have with others in this room? How often do you and I just play church and we come in here, we see someone that we have an issue with, and we just pretend to love them with zero genuine affection because we're unwilling to forgive or ask for forgiveness. We are called to love one another. So really love them. Number six, verse 11, is to pray. Verse 11 says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Richard Foster in his book, Celebrations of Discipline, says this, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, the 12 disciples, disciples—they're approached with concerns, and, and here's the issue that the, the church has. They say, hey, at the church potluck... Some people were not getting equal amounts of food, you know, and and the the church people wanted these guys, these 12 apostles, to to figure out how to make this fair, you know. And the 12 disciples were like, hey, we cannot spend our time worrying about who got enough of Sister Blevins' sausage balls or Sister King's truffles, right, you know, this, and and so instead of trying to figure out uh, everything and fix everything for everyone and putting their energy into those tasks, they appointed others to deal with the food distribution, and devoted their time to prayer and the ministry of the word. So my goal this month is to look at my weekly to-do list and see if there are things that I can let go of to delegate, hand over to other capable individuals that can give back to me time to spend in reading again and, and reflection time with God. We can't be worried if God will be mad at us for neglecting time with him. We must remember that God always meets us where we are. And then slowly moves us along into deeper things. The last thing is, uh, the seventh thing is, conquer evil by doing good. Drop down to verse 14. It says, Bless those who persecute you, don't curse them, pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. What Paul is saying is that in the midst of this culture that is defined by evil, that evil is going to show up in your life at some point. And it might be something horrendous like uh, one of your loved ones is murdered or, or raped or abused. Maybe it's a simple way, like you've been robbed or you're a victim of identity, identity theft or someone's out to ruin you or bring you down. And when that type of evil occurs, whatever it is, everything in me says, I want revenge, I want to repay evil for evil. And in God's economy, in this economy of love, he says, don't add to the evil. Instead, add what is good. Dr. King also said in in his message called Loving Your Enemies, he said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So rather than showing up with violence for violence, show up and be a peacemaker. Even though it's your right to demand retribution. And I'm not saying that it's an easy concept or an easy idea. But some of you uh, make like the idea of, uh, you might like the idea of heaping burning coals on the head of your enemies, right? You know, that sounds good. But what Paul is talking about is that when you repay evil with love, it has the power to change the other person. It was a phrase that was used in Egyptian culture and then other cultures who adopted it, uh, essentially saying that when you show up with love, it has the power to bring shame on their deeds, the idea of revenge is something I like to take very personally. When someone has done damage to me or to someone in my family, when evil shows up on my doorstep, I want revenge and you want revenge. And God says, Leave that to me. I can't, I can't take revenge and do it in a way that is purely just. It is impossible for me and I guess it's an, it would be impossible for you too. And so that's why God says, I will bring true justice. A justice justice that is balanced in the scales. He says, vengeance is mine. It's my job to repay evil. Let me do it. And your job is to say, well, if he's hungry, then I'm going to feed my enemy. If he's thirsty, I'm going to give him something to drink. I'm going to do something crazy here. I'm going to love him. And I want you to know that in the end, love wins. And the world will look at that and say, that's stupid, man, you're being taken advantage of. And God says, my love wins. So don't decide when you're going to love. Love all the time, no matter what. That's what happens when all that the gospel is shows up in a life of someone who says, I'm a living sacrifice. Because I believe with all of my heart that in a culture that's messed up, that God's love wins and he receives the glory. Can you make a commitment this year, removing your lenses of fear and exchanging them for lenses of faith, giving your body to God, admitting your weaknesses and remembering where you came from, surround yourself with people who love you and support you, and spend time with God and, and really love people. To really make a change, it starts with how you see yourself. Can you commit to fully And finally, taking down the images of yourself that you've given, that the world's given you, and replace them with how God sees you. Watch this video.